Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about eight years now. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 57 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about intermittent fasting with type 1 diabetes what it is, important things to know as, t- as a type 1 diabetic about it, and how to figure out if it's something that you should try. Just a quick reminder for everybody, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes or about the show, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. Jesse has the win of the week, and it's a pretty good win. I would say so. So I actually have a surprise today for everybody. A few episodes ago, I told you guys about Montana State University sending me a letter asking me to enroll or do an early admissions. And so today or last night, I guess you could say I got the letter of acceptance. So I'm officially going to MSU. Well, okay, not officially going I would say hopefully going if everything works out fall of 2021. And plus they're probably going to be in person by next year. Oh yeah. They were like in person and like they even said like hope to see you here. So I'm fingers crossed and everything, but if it doesn't work out, I've got other choices too, but that's Montana is just like my top choice. So are you going to send in your acceptance? Yes, I will. So (laughs) So there you're going to that school. (laughs) So I have the fail this week. My transmitter died at 77 days when it's supposed to last for 90. And this is actually the second transmitter in a row that's done this. The plus side is because it failed at 77 days, I actually kind of have a surplus of transmitters now since uh, Dexcom replaced them. But the downside is that I had five hours without a CGM or the control IQ and that kind of messed up my control for a couple of days. But that's just a signal for me that I need to do some basal testing to fine-tune my default basal rates. And side effect win that I have bonus transmitters, which rarely happens with, with the G6. Jesse, what's our hack this week? So my hack this week, it kind of has to do with online schooling. Even though everything's online this year, as of right now, at least, students should still be emailing their teachers, letting them know that they'll be eating in lectures and over the computer also eating at their desks. This is due to like some rumors running around and everything that we will not be allowed to eat at our desks, wear pajamas to school, or do our work in bed. So just email your teachers about what's going on and try and work with them the best you can. That's a really good point because you still need to take care of yourself even though it's schooling from home. Yeah, and I've heard about teachers like snapping at students before about like, hey, you're not really supposed to be eating. This is my time, not your time kind of thing. So I've heard some of that before, and I'm pretty sure they're going to be coming down 
pretty strict this year about it. I don't know why. Like, we're still in class. I just wanted some popcorn or something. You know, like, something like that. But I get where they're coming from and, and the fact that we need to focus on school. But, you know, it's our house. We're at home. We're not in a classroom setting right now. So, it's, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Let's get talking about intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is also known as time-restricted feeding. It just means you have an eating window during which you eat all your food for the day and however many meals you decide. That eating window can be as small as one hour or even less and as wide as eight. The most common fasting eating time window is 16-8, which means you fast for 16 hours and eat during the other eight. It doesn't actually matter which hours during the day you eat as long as you're fasting for all the other hours. Now, this is important. Just because you're skipping a meal like breakfast or dinner does not mean that you're giving up one third of how much you eat every day. You still eat all your food in that eating window. Restricting how much you're eating will introduce other problems that will make following intermittent fasting hard to keep up. I skip dinner because I've discovered over time that if I eat anything in the mid to late afternoon and evening, my blood sugar goes up overnight regardless of what I ate. Many people prefer to skip breakfast and have their first meal at 11 or at noon. It just depends on your preference and what works for your body and your lifestyle. For type 1 diabetics, skipping breakfast might actually work the best. Morning blood sugars are often a lot harder to handle because of what we call dawn phenomenon. Between the hours of 2 and 8 in the morning, the body releases counter-regulatory hormones like cortisol, growth hormone, glucagon, and epinephrine. And these increase insulin resistance. Then, boom, we wake up at 200 for what seems like no reason at all. And how this shows up for me is that when I wake up, my number might be at a flat 83, flat 90 something. And then as soon as I take my pump off to go shower, it'll skyrocket up to 140. And then I have to give a lot of insulin to bring it back down. So the last couple of days, I've been giving higher boluses for what I call phantom carbs so that it'll prevent that from doing that. So this morning, I gave 0.7 units when my number was 85 going into the shower, and I came out at like 110. And yesterday, I, went in, I got into the shower at 98 with a full unit and came out at 112. And then it was like flat the rest of the day. So I've just figured this out for myself through trial and error, but that's a really good reason that maybe skipping breakfast would work for some people because you're also not encouraging dawn phenomenon to be worse. Because also, when you're high, the last thing that you should do is eat. I've skipped plenty of meals, especially in college, because of a high blood sugar. Eating anything will continue pushing it up and just make me feel worse. So when type 1 kids wake up, already have a high blood sugar, and then eat what's usually a high-carb breakfast, their blood sugars are just toast for the rest of the day. Even if you wake up perfectly in range, correcting for breakfast is challenging regardless of what you eat. If type 1 diabetics practice intermittent fasting and skip breakfast, their morning blood sugars will likely be a lot more manageable. So in general, my eating window is between about 7.30 in the morning and noon, though for the past two months as of this episode airing, I've basically had one meal a day and my eating window is really 23.1, meaning I fast for 23 or more hours and then eat during one. Usually my... Uh, it only takes me like half an hour to eat my salad. So it's really like 23.5.5. Multiple scientific studies have proven that eating like this assists in weight loss and helps with loose skin. It also happens to stabilize blood sugars in type 1 and type 2 diabetics. 
Now, my blood sugars are incredibly good with low carb, intermittent fasting, and Tandem's control IQ technology. However, it's very important for type 1 diabetics to know that if you have a low blood sugar during your fasting window, you must have a low snack or turn off your insulin or both to correct it. Just because you're fasting does not mean that you should ignore a low blood sugar. Never, ever ignore low blood sugars. Personally, I don't count low corrections outside of my window as breaking my fast. Some people might disagree with me, but this is what works for me. Going low during your fasting window is an indication that you should look into changing your basal profiles or your long-acting insulin dosage. Diabetes Strong makes a good point that if your blood sugar drops just because you don't eat for a handful of hours, you're taking too much background or basal insulin through pump or, or injection. That's a sign you need to do basal testing. Make sure you talk to your doctor if you're adjusting long-acting because that can get a little finicky. Pump users may be more comfortable changing basal rates on their own like me because it's instant feedback and you can change it throughout the day if something's not working. The best resource a type 1 diabetic can have at their disposal when intermittent fasting is a CGM. You'll be able to see and adjust in real time for your blood sugars and maybe even prevent lows by turning off your insulin ahead of time before you know needing to use a low snack to bump it back up. I've done both and both work, though sometimes I I just need to have some Smarties. It's not a big deal. And while I will sing the praises of intermittent fasting all day long, it's important to know that it's not actually for everyone. If you have a really difficult relationship with food, you might have a really hard time adjusting to it. If you do try intermittent fasting when you're still eating a lot of flour and sugar, both of which are high in carbs, you will feel hungry and angry and deprived because your body hasn't gotten used to going for long periods of time without you needing it. A good way to get around this is to cut out the sugar and flour before you ever try intermittent fasting. That would get your body fat adapted so that when you do go to intermittent fasting, you're not hungry through all of the fasting periods. We talked about diabulimia and disordered eating in episode 51. If you're at risk for an eating disorder, then intermittent fasting may exacerbate it. So make sure you discuss your plans with your doctor before you do anything. So what can you have during your fasting window? Technically, it's anything that won't raise your blood sugar. And ignore what I said about before about the, the Smarties not breaking my fast. <laughs> because technically they do, but I just don't consider that they do. If you're chewing anything, you are probably raising your blood sugar. During fasting periods, stick with liquids like water, tea, coffee, and bone broth. Those are all acceptable. Just don't drink things like protein shakes, smoothies, or put sugar or any kind of sweeteners in your coffee. For some people, bulletproof coffee or coffee with heavy cream doesn't break their fasts. But, so if you put a little bit of fat in your coffee, you should be fine, but just test it for your body. What works for one person won't necessarily work for everyone else. Some diabetics have also reported that caffeine raises their blood sugars. So if that happens to you, make sure you account for it by bolusing. And Jessie is pointing out herself that caffeine raises your blood sugars. So we found this out when I was about eight years old and I had a diet Pepsi one time just to try it out. And I was just like, oh, this tastes weird. I don't really like this. I don't drink so that often. And my blood sugars went from like 200 because I was running around and we want to make sure I was a little bit higher to about 350 within an hour. And it was just, it was awful. I mean, I still drink coffee, but now I bolus for it before and after I, just depending on how much I drink and like what I'm putting in it. But yeah, definitely if you ever experience like going up and you're drinking caffeine every day, maybe, you know, go on a caffeine starvation for 
a week or something. But yeah, yeah. It definitely raises your blood sugars. <laughs> and a pro tip, if you are going to do a caffeine fast for however many days, it will take between, I think, two and nine days to actually get through the withdrawal period. I had a headache for about two and a half days when I went off of caffeine for my elimination diet. My mom is just did that with coffee. Like she cut out all coffee and she didn't get headaches or anything, but she was just, you could tell she was kind of out of it. It took her four days and we were on vacation. So I feel like if we weren't on vacation, it would have taken her about two weeks to yeah. just kind of adjust. So yeah. I've, I have since brought coffee back into my diet, even throughout the rest of my introduction phase, because I do not like being so focused, unfocused and tired without the coffee. So this is a drug I am happy taking. <laughs> so for the caffeine raising your blood sugar, while Jesse has experienced it, it's not something that happens to me. I have coffee around five in the morning and then again between 10 and noon, but I actually honestly haven't paid attention to how this raises my blood sugar, but I haven't noticed anything drastic. So I'm guessing it doesn't. So remember, we're type 1 diabetics. If our blood sugars go low during our fasting window, we can't ignore it. This is worth repeating several times. If we can see that trend early enough on our CGMs, then it is an option to suspend your insulin. I have done this plenty of times. But if it continues to get lower and lower and you're not comfortable writing it out, then correct it with a low snack. Like I said, I use Smarties. I can bring myself out of a low if the angle is low enough with just half a roll. And sometimes half a roll is too much. Finding out your carb sensitivity will actually really help with the rest of your life, not just for your weight loss. Do not ignore low blood sugars for the sake of keeping your fast. Just one more time to say that. So now I want to talk about why hunger is not a problem. Most people think that if they're hungry, something has gone wrong and it must be fixed immediately. We talk about feeling like we're starving, even if it's been just a couple of hours after our last meal. We treat hunger like it means there's something wrong with us. For the most part, most hunger is emotional hunger, and we don't actually know how to let ourselves feel hungry. If you always answer hunger with a snack or a meal, then you're not teaching your body how to use its own fat for fuel. You're just teaching your body that every time it gives the hungry signal, that it gets food. The emotional hungry signal is just an urge, and we don't have to answer urges. They're not emergencies. Feeling like you're hungry and then feeding the hunger without getting dramatic about it is the definition of, a, of allowing an urge. It's okay to be hungry. When my stomach rumbles outside of my eating window, it just means that it's getting a meal from the fat on my body. It's dining in. Feeling a little bit hungry or even a lot bit hungry is not an emergency. You won't die by intermittent fasting. You just, you won't. <laughs> Unless you don't correct your low blood sugars. So if you're hungry and you're low, just use a low snack to bring it up. The low blood sugar might actually be faking the hunger. Sometimes when I fix a hungry low with a roll of Smarties or suspending my insulin, the hunger goes away. Pay attention to how much your blood sugar actually rises when you're correcting it. And this is a great way to find out how little of a low snack you actually need to fix a low. Like I said, I can have half a roll of Smarties and it'll be fixed or even half a roll is too much. That's three carbs. The old standard of eating 15 grams of carbs for a low and then waiting 15 minutes before repeating it is just not in my playbook anymore. If I have 15 carbs for anything higher than a 65 or a 70 MGDL, then my blood sugar will skyrocket. And it will skyrocket fast. Like less than 10 minutes, I'll be over 140 and still going up. 
The only times I eat more than a single roll at a time is if I'm low with double arrows down or I'm already at 50 or 60 and I still feel myself dropping. It just takes experimentation and self-awareness around how your body reacts to glucose to find what works for you. So there's a few things you can do when you feel hungry. First one is to just let yourself feel hungry. It might be a new experience for you and it, it will probably be uncomfortable. But once you learn how to feel hungry, then you'll be able to recognize when the hunger is actually coming from an emotional problem, not real true hunger. You could also drink some water, tea, coffee, or bone broth. Bone broth is especially good if you feel fatigued or low energy because that might mean that you're missing some electrolytes and salts and bone broth has both of those. Another thing you can do is work on something that will put you into deep work. Deep work is also known as the flow state. And Cal Newport has a book on this called Deep Work. And I've seen this referenced by a lot of different authors back to the original source. And his name is a Czech name. I think it's Czechoslovakian. It's not Czechoslovakian because Czechoslovakia is not a country anymore. But it's, it's one of those like Eastern European, really complicated names that starts with an M and I cannot pronounce it. So I'm not even going to try, but we'll put it in the show notes. But he wrote a lot about how you get into a flow state where it just means you're so absorbed in what you're doing that you just literally forget to eat. You forget to look up. You forget to pay attention to the clock. Because when you're in deep work, you can spend hours doing something. And then when you look up, you'll be surprised by what time is. Time just flies. And everyone has something different that puts them into deep work. But if you know what yours is, pursuing it when you feel hungry will take your mind off the hunger and onto the problem at hand. So now I'm going to share just a few of the benefits that I've noticed from my time intermittent fasting. I'm not hungry outside of my eating window. I can walk past any pastries, snack foods, and foods that are not on my protocol without the drama of wanting it. And this came after a lot of mindset work around food and the fact that I eat low carb. A lot of people, when they find out what my eating window is and that I don't eat dinner and that I'm not even hungry, are just baffled by how can you not be hungry for dinner? just doesn't happen for me anymore. My blood sugars are also incredibly stable. My A1C is 5.4 as of my last appointment. And I have another appointment coming up. So we'll see what that is there. And I think this is actually from a combination of the intermittent fasting and the low carb, and also from doing this podcast because I'm more, more connected with the community. I also continue to lose weight. The feeding window timing can affect it. So if I'm stalling out for a while, it just means I need to change something up. That could be the timing or the food or both. It just depends on experimentation. I also have a lot more time to spend on things that excite me instead of thinking about preparing, eating, and then cleaning up for multiple meals and snacks. I'm more sensitive to insulin and more sensitive to carbohydrates and even more sensitive to protein. I also don't have to bolus for nearly any food I eat. And this is partially because of my low-carb protocol, but also because I'm more sensitive to the insulin I'm using for my basal. My basal rate often covers any potential rise from the protein I eat. I've actually built in a basal rise in the morning to cover the food that I eat instead of bolusing for it. And that works pretty well. Since my food protocol is pretty regular, doing that means I have more attention for other things. I'm also more focused, more clear and alert. And we have a reduced food bill. This is kind of nice. Because I eat basically one meal a day and I don't eat a lot during that meal, The amount of food that we have to buy, at least for me, is relatively minimal compared to how much money I spend when, how much money I spent when I was either eating high carb or eating low carb, but eating three meals a day for it, plus snacks. 
There are other benefits of fasting, and those include exercising when in a fasted state, which means not having any insulin on board and not just having had a low snack. It means your blood sugars will likely be more stable if you exercise than if you exercise after you eat. Like your body will be burning fat for fuel instead of the glucose. Just keep an eye on your blood sugars throughout the workout and afterward. I've noticed over the last several days of this week, I've been very, very stable when we go on a walk. And I bring Smarties with me just in case, but I've noticed for the last couple of walks that my blood sugar actually stays stable. I don't drop at all. It's pretty nice. I did already briefly talk about this, but fasting lessens insulin resistance and helps control blood sugars better. This applies to both type 1 and type 2. Fasting also decreases body inflammation. When we're chronically inflamed, it can show up as body pain, chronic fatigue, insomnia, depression, anxiety, constipation, diarrhea, weight gain, infections, lots more. Fasting also improves heart health and brain function. It can delay aging and extend longevity. Anyone who's seen recent pictures of Halle Berry knows that she looks fantastic for being 54 years old as of this recording. She follows a keto diet and she does intermittent fasting to control her type 2 diabetes. Another great benefit is that it could help prevent cancer and increase the effectiveness of chemotherapy. I think that if you're a type 1 diabetic with weight to lose, blood sugars to improve, and the willingness to try something new, then you should consider trying intermittent fasting. If you're worried about the aspects of it, please make sure that you include your doctor and know how intermittent fasting will integrate with the rest of your life, your medications, and your routine. There may be some medications that you need to take with food in the morning. If you give it the research and experimentation it deserves, you, you could fall in love with intermittent fasting just like I did. And now Jesse has some questions. So when you were transitioning from doing higher carb to low carb, what was your coping skill for the weird lows? Like you just all of a sudden drop really fast for no reason. So is this from going from high carb to low carb or from not fasting to fasting? From high carb to low carb. So when I switched from high carb to low carb, I made sure to keep a really close eye on my basal rates and my blood sugars. So when I switched, I was already on a CGM so I could see all those results. And when I switched the next day, like the day of the switch, I had the best blood sugars of my life. So I didn't have very many fast, unexpected lows because I was just so much more stable. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that does. Okay. And then how do you keep from going hangry? Like, so for those of you who don't know what hangry is, it's not hungry and it's not angry, but it's a combination of the two when you haven't eaten for a while and you're sitting in your car grumpy for no reason. It's being hungry and angry at the same time. Yeah, I don't really get hangry mostly because I don't rely on food to change my emotions. So if I'm angry and I'm hungry, then I deal with them separately. I guess that's, that's kind of, it's kind of hard to explain how to not be hangry. It really just depends on being able to uh, learn how to manage your mind, how to manage your emotions, to know what's triggering everything and what to do about it. So when are situations where you feel hangry? When I feel hangry? Well, generally when I'm either at the store, like I got, I just got out of the store. We've talked about this before where I go low in the store, but when I right get out of the store, and I feel stressed, like from just like the decompression of like the store and shopping and making sure that I didn't spend too much money and like 
all the extra thoughts. So that's exhausting for me. And then I get hangry because of that. So what do you do when you're hangry? I have like low carb snacks. So I have like a jar of peanuts that'll just shove a couple, like a handful in my mouth. I'm not necessarily relying on this, but I do get genuinely hungry when I'm at the store. So I just kind of like munch on those on the car ride home. So maybe your hangry is different from other people's hangry. Yeah. Well, I believe that it's different for every person, to be honest. I'm thinking like maybe hangry means you're hungry and you're angry and so you angrily eat something. Probably, yeah. I was just wondering what what that's really creating for you. Like what result do you get from hungry or angrily eating something? I don't know. It gets... Why is it it a problem? I have no idea. I get strangely calm afterwards though. I'm like, okay, now we're going to find my Zen place because I know I have enough energy. Like I got the energy that I needed. Yeah. So maybe the way you deal with hangry actually isn't a problem. And so you don't need to change how you deal with it. And maybe hangry itself isn't a problem. So how did you deal with hangriness? Well, I don't remember really having Uh hangriness, mostly, uh, at least not with low carb. When I was on high carb, I was probably hungry and angry a lot because uh, first of all, my blood sugars would go up and down all the time and that causes stress. And then I was angry about it. And so it was compounding. And then I would just like spin in my head. I would get really stressed out. And I don't really remember how I recovered from that, probably because I had no idea how to manage my mind back then. Okay. All right. So I've got the diabetes spotlight this week. And today we're focusing on immune evading cells. So according to Medical Express, on an article that was published in April titled, First Immune Evading Cells Created to Treat Type 1 Diabetes, the article talks about having been a success with immune shielded cell clusters injected into the pancreas. And I quote, using stem cell technology, stock research generated the first human insulin producing pancreatic cell clusters available to evade the immune system. These immune shielded clusters controlled blood glucose without immunosupportive drugs once transplanted into the body. And they go on to talk about the steps to this type of therapy and from injecting the cells all the way to making sure that they independently reproduce and are immunoprotective permanently. So this is a huge step forward for diabetic technology and research. So maybe there could be a permanent solution or permanent therapy that can help us out one day. But generally, from what I understood of this article, there's injecting like cell clusters into your pain like directly into your pancreas and then they just kind of start working once they get circulated into your system that would really be a big step forward because right now when you have a pancreas replacement like pancreas transplants those are considered cures but i don't think so because you're just replacing insulin for an immunosuppressive or a anti-rejection drug yeah and so when you're trading one for the other it's not a really a cure but if they can inject these these immune shielded cell clusters and they don't need the anti-rejection drugs, that would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. So I I am very much loving this. I know a couple of years ago there was like a pill-sized like transplant they could put in you. Like it would need two stitches basically. And it would do the same thing that this article is talking about, about how it keeps producing insulin cells and they're immunosupportive. And they're protected and everything. So that I, that was really cool. And then I read this and I was like, oh, this is even better. 
Okay, so our question this week for your lovely audience is, have you ever tried intermittent fasting as a type 1 diabetic? What did you learn about it and about yourself? What are your favorite and least favorite things about it? Let us know in the comments or send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 57. That's the number 57. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode or a guest request, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. Now, before I found low carb and intermittent fasting, I thought losing weight as a type 1 diabetic was impossible, honestly. When I found out that the combination of those two things was the secret for me, I still had to figure out how to do it all on my own. It's taken me four and a half years to lose 60 pounds. But if I'd had someone helping me along the way, it would have gone so much faster. Having a life coach walking you through weight loss means you have someone dedicated to helping you figure it out and hold your hand along the way. The math of weight loss is simple, but the drama isn't easy to deal with. And I can help you deal with the drama. If you want to find out if we're a good fit, please schedule a free 60-minute coaching consult at inspiredforward.com slash coaching. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward and our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since that really helps other people find us. And be sure to listen next week when we talk with Bryn O'Donnell, an advanced practice nurse with a podcast called Let's Review RN. Bryn brought Jesse and me on to Let's Review RN a few weeks ago to talk about type 1 diabetes. And next week, we're bringing her on the show to talk about what type 1 diabetes looks like from the nurse's perspective. This will be an episode you won't want to miss. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.